team and um, I'm part of the leadership here of the church and uh, wasn't that sermon by Greg last Sunday amazing? Uh, I'd hate to be the guy who's following that. <laughs> but welcome, welcome. It is good to see you all here. Uh, it was a great wedding yesterday. The place was completely full. Um, such a spirit of worship and love and um, just so proud of these young guys in our church who, you know, they're just doing life together so well. They love the Lord Jesus and uh, great to see guys like Jono and Darcy coming together in marriage. We're getting into a new series on John 12 to chapter 17. So why don't you open your Bibles with me if you've got them on your phones or you've brought a actual paper Bible, never a bad idea at church, and I'm going to read John chapter 12 verses 20 to 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was not for your benefit, sorry, it was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray uh, that it will do a work in our hearts and minds today. Father, help us to behold the glory of Jesus and be changed. In his name. Amen. Well, in this February, the last month of summer, first month of school being back, I think there was people parking this morning for the Cole Classic in this street. Uh, Manly is just busy at the moment. But it finally feels like we are launching the year here at Manly Life, and lots of excitement over everything that's kicking off. Uh, youth was brilliant on Friday night. Uh, life groups, a lot of them are starting this week. Midweek playtime was back down in the back playground uh, on Thursday and Wednesday. Alpha is about to start. Worship nights are about to kick off. So it feels like all at once the year is launching. So let me encourage you to get involved. I want to attempt to do three things this morning. I want to introduce this very exciting series. 
I want to secondly look at this first passage that I have just read. And then thirdly, I want to briefly share some of the vision for the next year here at Man in Life. So firstly, let's introduce this series. Uh, I have this funny way of getting obsessed with books of the Bible and thinking they are the most important thing I have ever read. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we did that long series in Ephesians, and I was like, everyone needs to know about Ephesians. And then we did Isaiah, and I got obsessed with Isaiah, and I was doing this 36-hour study course in Isaiah. And, and then last year in the Sermon on the Mount, I just thought, everyone needs to know this now. Well, now I'm obsessed with the book of John. So, <laughs> uh, I've been spending time, particularly in this section, chapters 12 to 17, uh, preparing for this series. And it is an incredible section of scripture, giving us the closest insight into Jesus' relationship with his disciples. And the revelation of who Jesus is, and in turn, who he wants us to be. First, it's worth reminding ourselves a little bit about John's Gospel. Uh, John is regarded as probably the last of the four Gospels to be written. We have surviving manuscripts, uh, little, little elements of the whole Gospel of John that date back to 120 AD, uh, which if you know anything about how they've kept manuscripts from antiquity, is absolutely astounding the accuracy that must then provide us in the church today. It's uh, nowhere to say, hi, I'm John, and I wrote this gospel, um, but it is ascribed to John by the early church fathers, and he was one of Jesus' closest disciples. His authorship also includes the letters bearing his name in the New Testament and the book of Revelation. And what I, and what many scholars believe, is that John is written as a supplement to the Synoptic Gospels. So we've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're the Synoptic Gospels, and John gives us a more theologically structured account of Jesus' life. So for instance, in John there's seven miracles, which he calls signs. And in John there are seven I Am statements, where Jesus equates himself with God. And of course, in Hebrew thought, seven is the number of completion and perfection. So in other words, the author's taken a little bit longer to bring together his gospel. He's had some time to think about Jesus, and he presents a selected account of Jesus' life in order to persuade people. Right? John 21, 31, the author says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That's the purpose of this Gospel, right? That's why John wrote an account of his time with Jesus. So we want to behold Jesus. We want to become convicted or convinced that truly this is the Son of God, and that we will come to believe. And the result is that as we become disciples of this Jesus, it says we will receive life. Life, this amazing Greek word, zoe. And Jesus talks about receiving eternal life. 
And John, uh, in Jesus, in John, also talks about us receiving abundant life. So this life that's going to come from knowing Jesus is both in the forever, but it's also something that we're going to receive in the here and now. So John's different to the synoptics in some ways, similar in others. Uh, many of the major events are there. Jesus' baptism, feeding the thousands, miracles of healing, and of course his death and resurrection. But John is different too. Uh, it's like an insider's perspective of some of the most profound teachings of Jesus of Nazareth that only his inner crew would have got to record. And so hence this discourse we're going to study together, where it is just Jesus talking with his closest disciples. So the book's a little differently structured to Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, the first 11 books of John is often called the Book of Signs, and that's where a lot of these miracles of Jesus occur and a lot of the I Am statements. And then we get the final 10 chapters, which is often referred to as the Book of of glory. Isn't that good? The book of glory. And it includes this section that we're going to do a series in. So Jesus pulls his disciples in close and chats with them, and then preceding that are the events of his death and resurrection. But in this section, Jesus pulls his disciples in close, and he wants to prepare them for life without him, so that his mission of bringing eternal life to his followers an abundant life may continue without his physical presence. And of course, we know that that's what happens, right? This gospel explodes upon the ancient world and to this day. So this section we're going to study is sometimes called the Upper Room Discourse or the Farewell Address. Now, it contains some of the most memorable actions and teachings of Jesus uh, as we spend time in John chapters 12 to 17, uh, the next few months, we're going to come across Jesus humbling himself and washing his disciples' feet and teaching them to serve one another like he has done. Jesus is going to proclaim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father but by me. Jesus is going to teach on him being the vine and we are the branches. Jesus as the only true source of life in this world and the disciples, that is you and I, being the branches that then bring that life into the world. No pressure, guys. <laughs> of course, we're going to learn there's no pressure. We just have to stay connected to him. Now, there's much about love, there's much about glory, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and unity. It's going to be a great series. And possibly my favourite theme of all, we're going to see all through the Gospel of John, where Jesus identifies himself with God. An example, John 14, 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. I mean, that's staggering. That is staggering. Jesus is saying, see me, and you're going to see God. If you want to know God, come and know me. The guessing is over, and that can only be good news as we get to know Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? You sound excited. <laughs> 
So why study it? Why study it? Why should we be excited to dig into this remarkable section of Scripture? Well, Jesus is in the business of forming a people who will reflect his glory into the world. So in this farewell discourse, Jesus wants to prepare us for life without him physically. Right? But his promise is he's not going to leave us as orphans. Uh, so if Jesus is about to die and rise and ascend to heaven, this is kind of him saying, this is what discipleship looks like. It looks like living and serving and loving the way of the Master. You know, I love um, here in Manly Life how many carpenters there are at this church, particularly at the evening service. It feels like every second guy has got like long hair and a carpenter and seems to live in a van. <laughs> They're taking following Jesus very seriously. Um, it's great though, and, and, and not just because it's really handy when I need something fixed. Um, but any good carpenter will have done their apprenticeship with a master builder, right? Uh, it's obvious, they turn up the first leaf, that they are not above their boss, right? They are there to learn. They are there to grow. And they are there to watch and to develop their skills. I sometimes joke, you know, I'm third generation, pay someone else to do it. <laughs> so not a lot's been passed on to me. So any home renovations, if you come to my house that I have done, I always encourage people, it might look good from far, but just don't look too close. But if you want to build a deck, first you watch someone build a deck. Then you help them build a deck. And then eventually the master builder will say to them, have a go at building a deck. And that's discipleship, right? That's what discipleship is all about. That's what Jesus does in his farewell address. He gets his disciples thinking about how to continue his work and ministry without him. Right? So for instance, he washes his disciples' feet. Then he says to them, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. That's discipleship. Right? Watch me. And then do what I've shown you to do. And we're going to learn from the way, the truth, and the life of our Master so that you can do as Jesus has done. We get that all through the series. John 13, 34. Love one another as I have loved you. If you learn from a good carpenter one day, you know, the hope is that you will build as at the same level or maybe even greater than the one who taught you. So in John 12 to 17, Jesus is going to teach us and demonstrate to us what being a disciple looks like. Amen? Amen. Alright, let's have a look at the start of this section of John's Gospel just quickly. So chapter 11, uh, we're, we're fast forwarding through chapter 11. Jesus does what I think is his most remarkable miracle. He raises his dead friend Lazarus back to life. And it gives us a taste of his own coming resurrection. So at the start of John 12, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he is hailed as their king. I mean, imagine being there. Like, it would have been raucous. Jesus enters the city. 
and he is met by adoring crowds. Verse 13, they wave palm branches, they yell out, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. But there's also a showdown coming. While the crowds at this stage are on his side due to the miracles and hope that the long-awaited saviour has come, the religious leaders are plotting in the background to have him executed as a blasphemer and troublemaker. So the events of the Passion, that is Jesus' betrayal, trial, death and resurrection, are a mere matter of days away. So Jesus begins to teach his disciples all that they will need to know to understand why he's come into the world. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Verse 27 to 28, Jesus says, It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Verse 31, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So there's a sudden urgency to Jesus' teaching. The hour has come. Now much of John's Gospel focuses on the idea of Jesus revealing the Father that is God to the world. But twice before during his ministry, after he does a great sign, Jesus says, My time has not yet come. John 2, around the turning of the water into the wine, Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. John 7, having fed the 5,000 and walked on water, he still says, verse 8, My time has not yet fully come. But now as he enters Jerusalem, the events of the Passion are about to unfold. He announces, the hour has come. So he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now this is so important to understanding Jesus. Glorified is this Greek word doxa. And it's translated from the Old Testament Hebrew word kabod. And it refers to a visible and a powerful manifestation of God. So Jesus announces the hour has come for the Son of Man to visibly and powerfully manifest who God is. Glory is about the revealing of the essence of who someone is. The hour has come for Jesus to be glorified. It is time for God's glory, His essence, to be revealed through His Son. Are you with me? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting, John 1, when Jesus is called the Word made flesh, dwelling amongst us, it says we have beheld His glory, His doxa, His essence. And then a few verses later, uh, Moses gets a mention. I think that's because in Exodus 33, 18, Moses expresses this most passionately to God. Remember when Moses prays, show me your glory, right? And, and Moses' prayer is that God will reveal his essence. Show me yourself. Pull back the curtain. Show me who you are. And it says the goodness of God passes in front of him. 
In Jesus, we are being told the hour has come for God's goodness, his essence, his presence, his glory to be revealed. Okay, here's where it gets really good. You ready? Now it's time for the price of admission. <laughs> so we're told in John's Gospel that Jesus' glory was displayed in his signs, right, his miracles. He's saying now the time has come for his supreme glorification to be revealed. Right? His essence, his fullest manifestation of God's character is about to be revealed. It's not going to come in taking over Jerusalem by force. It's not going to come by Jesus wiping out his enemies. What we're about to learn is that his glory will be displayed by his willing acceptance of a shameful death with sinners and for sinners on a cross on the hill of Calvary. So Jesus uses a little parable. Verse 12, 24, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. His coming death, he pronounces, is going to lead to an outbreak of life. His coming death, he pronounces, is going to be the seed that must fall to the ground and die so that many will be reconciled to God and come to life. The paradox of the true glory of God is that the true essence of who Jesus is, is revealing the Father, is to be seen in the lowly act of dying on a cross for you and for me. As we sing that old hymn, How Marvellous, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. And we sing how marvellous, how wonderful, my song shall ever be. Amen. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. And finally in this passage, what's the result of all this? Verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus here is referring to the way that he would die by being lifted up on a cross. And is not this the truest statement that has ever been said? Because the message of a crucified Saviour who puts aside his glory of being truly God, who comes into this world and humbles himself even to the point of death so that we may have eternal life. That doesn't die out that day. It doesn't die out in that city. It doesn't die out in that region. He has indeed been like a seed, dying, falling to the ground, that has produced many seeds. A life given that many may be given life. And it is a message that has swept up billions of people in the world into the great family of God. 
Now, of course, that doesn't mean all people in a universalist way. We know, don't we, that just like in Jesus' life, so today, many reject Jesus and his message. Uh, we live in a culture where many even mock the Christian faith. But it is all people in the sense of men and women, Jews and Greeks, Australians, Chinese, Brazilians, Kenyans, the wealthy, the poor, a great, great multitude throughout human history who have beheld the glory of Jesus and have come to believe. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen? Amen. So finally today, what has all this been for us this year at Manly Life? You know, I noticed that a number of churches are kicking off the year this Sunday with what they call their Vision Sunday, setting out great plans and ministries and hopes. It's great stuff. <laughs> I need to get a bit more visionary. <laughs> well, how's this for a vision, family life? Die. <laughs> Die. Right? Oh my gosh, Jesus, could you not give me a more easy vision to sell? <laughs> yes, it's into an abundance of life and indeed eternal life, but the path to life is through death. Now, not literally, I know what you're going out and being martyrs, I don't even know what that would look like in manly, but in following the way of Jesus, that we too would involve ourselves in self-giving, sacrificial acts of love and service. Amen? The great German theologian and thorn in the flesh of the Nazis and Hitler, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famously said, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. What were Jesus' words again in the passage we read? Whoever serves me must follow me. To come after Jesus is to follow his way. And that is the way of laying down our lives in order that life might be produced. It is dying with the self and all selfish ways and learning to bring life by laying down our own lives. You know, one of the things we're getting excited about here at Manly Life is the growing potential for us to launch a campus at this church up at French's Forest in the middle of the year. And you know, that would involve a sense of loss for all of us. You know, we might not see, when people come to Manly Life, they seem to come once every three weeks anyhow, but we might not see some people as often as we used to. It might involve sacrificial service, sacrificial giving, but just as Jesus, a seed, died that then sprouted and reproduced itself many times over, that is what we are called to do. There's a spiritual war at work when we do this, right? That carries a blessing. We give away, we die a little bit, but then it begins to multiply and grow and produce more seeds. And those seeds produce, what do they do? Then they, they die. And then they produce, well, they sprout. And all of a sudden, life grows there. 
And can anyone then guess what happens to the seeds again produced there? Well, if they follow the way of Jesus, they learn to die as well. And then they sprout and they reproduce and they grow life. But there is a cost. But there is the great possibility of a great abundance of new life. So just as I close, I know I've spoken a little longer than normal. Um, just very briefly, what would be needed from followers of Jesus? Could we get the QR code up on the screen? I'd love us just to QR code today and just respond in some way to what we've been hearing. What would we need from followers of Jesus here in Manly Life for this to occur? Uh, what would it need for our church family to grow to three or four services that are overflowing by the end of this year? Uh, and people coming to a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Well, let me just suggest three quick things. Firstly, we have to be committed to helping other people behold Jesus. So when we launch Alpha in a week and a half, can you invite some friends? Can you do that? Like, we, we're not going to... We, we just want people to meet Jesus. Because we believe if they meet Him, their life will be changed. So, come to Alpha. Develop a culture of invitation. Secondly, I just want to encourage us to be committed to doing life together as we grow as disciples. And I guess that's a plug for life groups. Um, every week we've got about a dozen life groups that meet all around Manly and young adults is exploding. There's about 85 of them who come centrally. Um, but join a life group because we're going to study the book of John together. Okay, We're going to open up Jesus' words and let this go in deep. You know, sometimes people say to me, what did you preach on the weekend, Tim? And by Tuesday, sometimes I have forgotten. Okay? We need to gather together and open the Word of God to allow it to go deep in our hearts with friends in community. And then finally, let's be committed to serving and giving and acts of dying to yourself. You know, I love people like Karen Gray at this church. Karen Gray... You know, this is the phrase I most hear coming out of Karen Gray's mouth. Oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> She's on 32 different ministry teams. <laughs> Be like Karen. <laughs> you know, we've got a huge need for primary kids helpers. You know, we had 30 primary kids, 30 primary age kids in that upstairs hall two weeks ago. And we just don't have enough leaders. And we've got this new generation coming through, right? Could you do that once a month? You know, we want to split that group so it's a little less crazy upstairs and you can take the older kids and they can go play some touch footy and open the word and have a prayer and whatever it is. But you could do that. Might not be what you wanted to do, but hey man, your life, die. <laughs> Verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to worship.